Anyways, we're going to, I'm going to start. I have one more really. Jesus. I'm going to attempt to start a series this morning. <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord willing. Lord willing, I'm going to attempt to start a series this morning. But one of the things that God has been talking to me, dealing with me about, is what you say, what you believe. What we teach in this church and what we preach in this church, we will begin to see manifest in this church. And where we are going, oftentimes there's not a blueprint. There's not a blueprint that I can see of how to get from where we are to where I believe that God is taking us. Which is why we there, there was a word by, by a man by the name of Damon Thompson. He said, anytime you have ever... If you're following a map, if you're following a blueprint, that means somebody has already been there and somebody has already done it. Amen? But if you're following, what do you do when you get off the map? You start following the compass. And that compass, we believe, is the, is the Holy Spirit of God. And we believe in this church that we must be, we must follow the leading of the Spirit of God. Amen? And if we lead the following of the Spirit, we may not be everybody's cup of tea, but we're not trying to appeal to the world. We are trying to appeal to God. Right. Amen? That's where we're at. That's where we're doing. That's where we're moving. So this morning, where did my computer gag out? It's not. Oh, did the whole thing like that? Yeah. Oh. Just Praise God. Okay. Anyway. Cool. We had church before we had TVs, didn't we? Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I made that cool graphic and everything. We're going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 2 to start, and then we're going to go to Matthew 13. But we'll get to, we'll get to Matthew 13 here in a little bit, but we're going to start in Daniel chapter 2, and I'm only going to read one verse, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version this morning. Well, just hold your finger there, and let me do my introduction, and we'll get there. And if I don't do my introduction, what I read, I don't make any sense. Okay? So, I, I, like, I like to teach, and I like to, I like to teach, and I like to preach off of, out of questions. Because that's, that's oftentimes where I learn the most, is not by statements, but by questions that I can reflect on. Amen? So, the question of today is what is the kingdom of God? Now, we have all heard about the kingdom of God, right? I mean, if you have said any of my teaching and or preaching in the last two years, you have definitely heard those three words in unison at one point or another, right? What is the kingdom of God? And oftentimes, it, we, we can get confused because we don't see a physical kingdom, do we? We don't see a physical kingdom setting. Not it's not it's not like God is setting up with uh, like where Joe Biden is or President Biden is setting. You know, it's not like he's not like he, it's it's not a physical it's not a physical kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Okay. So here's here's kind of the definition that um, I, I came up with. I found what is the kingdom of God? It is this: the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality. And will be a physical reality with the return of Christ. Okay? 
So it is a spiritual reality now. Okay, we believe that there are three planes, there, there, there are three planes of existence. There's what we can see in the physical, there's the second heaven, and there's the third heaven. The second heaven is where in Daniel we see that all of the, the war, war is happening in the seventh and the second heaven. That's why when the Bible talks about <clears throat> that's why when the Bible talks about our warfare, it says our warfare is not against flesh and blood, our warfare is not on this plane, but our warfare is against principalities, powers, and rulers of the air. Where do they rule? They rule in the second heaven. And the only reason that they rule is because the only reason that they are allowed to rule is because there has not been a the, the bride is not completely fulfilling her assignment in the earth. And that, that's that's a sermon for another day. So we believe that there is a spiritual kingdom now and a physical reality and a physical kingdom that is coming in the future with the return of Christ. Okay? The kingdom of God is defined in the Bible in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. And it is, and it is, it is defined as a rock that starts, not a rock that is not hewn by hand, but it starts small and it will eventually consume the entirety of the world. So let's go to Daniel, chapter 2, verse number 44. This is this. And amongst the, the rest of this prophecy, I just want to focus on this one verse for a minute. And in these days, the kings, and, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all of the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Okay. So now in Daniel chapter, in Daniel chapter, he goes through the prophecy. And he's got these, all these different kings, and, and, and it really ties in with Revelation. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because we could get completely sidetracked and miss and, and not get to what I really want to get to today. But the kingdom of God is something that is not built by us. It is not something that is hewn by any hand. It is something that is hewn out of rock. But it, 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 and how do we know that rock is, is one of your most stable building materials? That's why we still have the pyramids that are here how many thousands of years later. Um, that's why you can go down into Arizona and you can see down into old Mexico and you can see these buildings that have been built out of rocks and mud and stuff that, that are still standing. It is a very stable material. It is something that's very stable. But when we start to build, how many know we have to have a foundation? If you go to build a building, you have to build a foundation. And you have to have footers, and you have to have all of these things in order that in order that it won't move, in order that it will be stable. And if we do not build a solid foundation, right? If there is not a solid foundation, it doesn't matter how good the building is, it doesn't matter how pretty it is, it doesn't matter what anything else with that, it will fall down eventually. The first time the trial, the first time that anything comes against it, it will eventually fall down. So we know that the kingdom of God is something that is built to last forever. And because it tells us in this verse, it says it will never be destroyed. Okay? The, the Bible tells us that there is, a, there is a city that is prepared for us, whose maker and builder is God, and the foundations were built by God. Make sense? Follow me? That the kingdom of God is something that is, we are in the kingdom of God, 
but we're not in the kingdom of God. Follow me on that? It's a spiritual reality, but it is not yet a physical reality. I'm, 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 I'm really trying to teach this. This is, kind of, this, is, this is one of these concepts that it's like, it's hard to teach because there's, there's so much to it that we can kind of get lost in the nuances, and I'm trying really hard not to do that. The second thing he says is that it shall never be overthrown. It shall never be overthrown. Or we could say, it shall never be left to another people. The kingdom of God, God will always be the king. Praise God. Right? Praise Because he shall not die. He shall not live. God is always going to be God and there is no other. Amen? God is God and there is none like him. Somebody praise the Lord in this place this morning. Ah, come on. It shall never be overthrown. You don't ever have to worry about like, like the kings of today. You never have to worry who's going to win the next presidential election cycle and wonder what they're going to do to the economy this time. You're never going to have to wonder if your investment rates are going to go down or up again because there is a there is a place, there is a kingdom that God and he is, his throne is established forever and it shall never be overthrown. Come on, somebody. So when, we, so when we think about building a kingdom, when we think about God's kingdom growing, we never have to worry about God's kingdom growing to a certain point. And then like the kingdoms of this world, they get to a certain point and then they start going downhill. Right? They never have to worry about that. The third thing he says in Daniel chapter 2 is that it shall break into pieces and consume every kingdom. It shall break and consume everything. So the struggles and the trials and the things that we are going through, we have to remember and learn and trust that even though the, the, even though these are our struggles, even though these are our trials, even though even though we see them and we don't really care for them and we don't like them, how many know there is a day coming when everything and we we ain't gonna have no more worry, we ain't gonna have no more sorrow, we're not gonna have any more strife, we're not gonna have anything other than God Himself. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Because it's going to consume the entire world. It is going to break down every principality. It is going to break down every wall. It is going to break down every disease. It is going to break down and destroy everything that stands in opposition to God. It is going to destroy every mindset. It is going to destroy everything. And I know I'm saying destroy a lot. We don't like to think about things that we like being destroyed. But I'm here to tell you that there is a world that is coming that is not here yet, but it is on its way where we can see that we can see the goodness and the glory of God every day of our lives. Every day when we walk out, we wake up and the sun, and the sun may not be shining, but the sun is coming from the countenance and the glory of God from shining forth from the throne room. Can somebody even think of about a small glimpse of what the kingdom of God may be like and then realize that Jesus himself asked us to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will. Thy will. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me take this out of the King James for a second. God, let your kingdom 
be established today. Yes. God, let your will be done today. Yes, on earth. Yep. As it is in heaven. Yep. So is the kingdom a present reality? Or is it, so, so the kingdom may not the kingdom is a spiritual reality and I absolutely believe that we can be a, king, a company of people that are kingdom people. And we in our company of people can see the will of God done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. Because if that statement is not true, that makes God a liar and cruel. Because if we cannot, if, if, if we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we put our faith behind that, and there is absolutely no way for that to manifest, then God is cruel for asking us to think and pray that way. But if, but, 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 there's some things that's got to die on the inside of us. That's right. That we can see his kingdom be established, not just in my heart, but in your heart. And if he is established in my heart and your heart, and we come together as kingdom family, where we are all individually unique, the way that God created us to be whole and holy, whole and holy, then we can come into a place where we can see the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. You following me? That it can grow inside of us. It always starts small. That brings me into my next, my next piece of scripture. The kingdom of God always starts small. So am I discouraged to look around the room and not see very many people in the room this morning? No, because the kingdom of God, what God does in the world, always starts small. In Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going. Verse 31 through 33. That's where I'm going to read. This, this particular scripture is a part of... <clears throat> this particular scripture is a part of the... It is actually the end... We're getting into, no, we're not. Sorry, that was the other scripture I was going to use. Never mind. Anyways, let's just read it. Woo, see, I told you, I make mistakes. Everybody. <laughs> Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. So we see, even Jesus said, the kingdom starts small. How many have ever heard the faith like a mustard seed parable? Yeah, we, we, we've heard that. We had the pastors bring out and show you the size of a mustard seed. And you're going to listen if you, have, if you just have just a little bit of faith, it's all going to work out. Right? But he also says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that starts imperceivably small. Yet over time, it's one of the largest trees that are there. And So initially, initially the kingdom starts small and over time it has grown and continues to grow, right? 
We must not be discouraged when our growth takes time. We must not be discouraged when our growth and the growth of our church or the growth of our ministry or the growth of our relationship with our spouse or the growth of our relationship with our kids or anything else. We must not be discouraged when it takes time because God does not view time the way that we view time. If we would talk about the timing of God, we would talk about two different times. One is Kairos time, and one is Kronos time. Kronos time is the is the ticking of the hands, you know, the, the, the clock that never runs out. And it, it, it is our time by which we measure our day. That is Kronos time. But Kairos time is the timing of God in which he puts on the calendar of heaven and says, at this time, I am going to do X. And there becomes a moment, a Kairos moment timing of God where he rips the heavens open. Actually, I don't even think he rips the heavens open anymore because the Bible never tells us that after the heavens were rent um, at the crucifixion of Jesus, it never says he closed them back. So anyways, that's just another, that's, that, that's, that's a little side trail. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't think he's going to rent the heavens open. I think he's just going to step through. And there is a moment in time when he begins to move and he begins to do something. And if we as a people will recognize the time and we will say, we are going to God no matter what it looks like, no matter what it talks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it smells like, no matter what it is. We are going to move into it and we are going to, by trial, by fire, by oil, we are going to move into everything that God has for us, even if it means we have to shed some other things and start over small. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You see, time, we must not be discouraged if our growth takes time. We should never look, how many, most of us know, know what it takes to plant corn, right? Or, or soybeans. How many of you would ever be discouraged if you went out and planted, planted a corn kernel in the ground or planted a field of soybeans and you go out the next day and go, why isn't it grown yet? Or, or we go out two weeks after we planted it and it's just beginning to sprout, or we're just beginning to see the very beginnings, and we say, why is it not mature yet? Why can't I eat that? Right? Why then do we put so much pressure on ourselves to be at a fully mature state when God has already said there is, a time, there is an appointed time and a place where you are going to go through some things that are going to mature you, there is a time and a place and a season. So we have to remember that we don't have we, we, we cannot get discouraged when we when, when things are not going at the rate that we think they are going, because God does not measure time the same way that we measure time. And when because when God said he's going to give Abraham descendants as far as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, he started with one son of promise. Right. All Abraham saw was one son of promise. All Isaac saw were two sons. But yet we believe a promise for God and we oftentimes in selfishness think that the kingdom of God is all about me. And the kingdom of God is not about you or I, but it is all about him. Right. It is all about God. 
It is his kingdom. It is the dominion of the king. You see, time is the indicator of bearing fruit in our lives. However, we must not use that as an excuse for laziness. We must not use time as an excuse for laziness. Remember the parable that Jesus spoke in Luke 13. And he said there was a, there was a certain vineyard owner that had a fig tree. And that fig tree was planted in a vineyard. How many know that a fig tree is not supposed to be in a vineyard? Vines for grapes and wine are supposed to be in the vineyard. So all of the good ground was given unto good wine. Let everyone has ears to hear. Hear. But there was a fig tree that was planted in a place that it wasn't supposed to be, taking up ground that wasn't its to take up and was not producing any kind of fruit. And the vineyard owner came back three years in a row and said, Why is there not fruit? Because how many know that in your life, the, the, the way that God measures success is by the fruit you bear. Come on now. Okay? Not by the number of people that follow you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever else y'all do. TikTok. I mean, all of, the number of people that follow you does not matter. The, the number of friends that you have does not matter. But the fruit that you bear does. So the vineyard owner comes back and he says this. He says... He looks at his servant and he says, cut that good-for-nothing tree down. I have come three years expecting that it would give me a harvest, and yet it has done nothing. And I wonder how many times God looks at the people in the church and go, I have come here for 30 years in a row expecting you to be engaged in bearing fruit Yet there is nothing. Cut them down. That's heavy. Yet, the servant says, let's give them one more chance. Let me cultivate them. Let me dig around them. Let me put fertilizer around. Let me give them every good thing and every opportunity to flourish and bear good fruit in their lives. And yet, if they don't do that, then you can cut it down. So what's the meaning of that parable, then? Don't let time be an excuse for laziness. Do not let time be an excuse for not bearing fruit. You may have issues, you may have struggles, but you can still bear fruit. How many know that even a good fruit tree may have some dead limbs that need to be pruned every now and then, but it is still producing fruit? We must be mature. As, the, as you grow and the kingdom grows, you should be able to feed the people around you from the fruit of your life. Because the Bible tells us in multiple 
multiple places, that if you will be judged by the fruit you bear. Okay. How many know that when you plant an apple tree, nobody knowingly plants a crab apple tree? <laughs> right? But if you plant an apple tree, you expect for that fruit to be good. And if it is not good, then the tree is worthless. You see, in the parable of the mustard seed, we see that the tree grows and it is able to provide a place for the birds of the air. And with the leaven that was in the loaf that the lady put in, the, she put three measures of leaven in the loaf and let it, over time, the bread rise. With the leaven, it caused the bread to rise and to make something nourishing for people. Is your life nourishing to the other people around you? You see, we must take care that the fruit we are producing is good and will benefit the people around us because that's what God called us to do. He called us to bear good fruit. What do you do with a fruit tree? If it ain't good, you've got to eat it, right? I mean, if it ain't good, you throw it away. But if it is good, you can feed a whole bunch of people with one tree, right? But what can you do with a whole orchard? What could our church do if every one of us made it a point to bear good fruit, knowing that it's not of works, but it's what God is doing in you. The last point I have, I'm almost done. Ooh, I'm, we may get out of here before noon. Yeah, Somebody said, praise God. Yeah. We may get out of here, I know we may not do. I got a whole other point. The kingdom will be a physical kingdom. And he says this, I heard a loud, in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, it says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be there, will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away, yes, every tear from your eye. Get ready. Sorry, that's a song. Um, anybody know Kurt Franklin? Anybody young enough to know Kurt Franklin besides being Crystal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I got you, Glenn. He's a, and God shall wipe away, yes, never tear from the eye. Sorry, anyways. Thank God my wife's not in here. She'd be crawling under the floor under the seat right now. Anyways, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So let's look at this verse. He, God, will dwell with us in the physical kingdom. And he now, there are many ways, and I, I, I ain't going to go into when it's going to be or how many we ain't getting into that because we'll be here for three hours or like the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know, that's a lot there. Go anyway. Huh? I said if you go anyway. Yeah, yeah, anyways. He will dwell with them. What does that sound like to you? To me, that sounds like the Garden of Eden where God came down and dwelt with them. So, what we have to understand is that the kingdom of God that is coming, that, that, that is here and is coming, is a restoration of what God had with Adam in the garden. What God had with Adam in the garden, which was what? Unbroken communion with God in the cool of the day. 
which I would really think in the cool of the day, so I just put it as the one exact moment, but I really believe that it is unbroken communion with God forever and eternal. I, I, this might be a little out there, I don't know if I can prove this theologically, I've got some better minds than myself in the room this morning, so praise God, but I honestly think that we're still going to have to work, but it's going to be awesome because God's going to be there, and I really hope that if I don't get a ranch with like about 10,000 acres in this life, I really hope that's what heaven looks like. I get to go up and smell the cow dung and just be like, God, you're awesome. I really hope that's what heaven is like. Like, I'm just being for real. Like, you know, I might not get to go right I want to get the right person. But anyways, I may not get to have everything I want here, but praise God. Maybe that's what he's talking about when he says you're a faithful manager. He's going to give you more. I'm just praying my, I'm just praying heaven's going to be, I can, I can, I can, I can feed the marriage supper of the lamb with some good old grass fed beef. Anyways. I don't know if that's neither here nor there. And, uh, anyways. But he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. So if we know that in the physical kingdom he will dwell with them, we also must realize that in the spiritual reality that we are currently in, that God is dwelling with us and in us. Right? That every moment that we are awake, we are abiding in him. That we are in him. He is in us. Man, that's just so many places. I'll rush. Anyways, okay. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. One of the great, one of one of the hardest things that I am struggling with currently, my current reality, is realizing that I, I, I am I call it a dual reality. I am in the kingdom of God, yet I am still under the rule of men. I am, in, I am in the kingdom of God, but yes, I am under the rule of God, but yet I still have to be under the rule of, of people. And that I am in the kingdom of God, but yet there seems to be, there, there, there is a fight on the inside of me sometimes to where I, I, I have to crucify the flesh daily. And sometimes I don't do a very good job of crucifying my flesh. Anybody know, anybody know the words of that song? And so, and so there is a, there is a duality, there's a fight on the inside of us that we are, we, we want to be Christ-like. And Paul put it like this, he says, the things I know to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do are the things that I do. Which, which, which sounds like which sounds like a mama running out, running out with a flip-flop, throwing it at her kids, and I'm going to beat you. But anyways, that's just how I see it. So, I, I want to love you, but right now, I'm going to love you very much. He says, God himself. For they shall be my people. So there is a, in that phrase, there is a message of exclusivity. Being exclusively God's. And how many have ever wondered and been like, man, I think about this often. I was like, man, I just wish I didn't have to get up and go to work and I could just go and lay in the presence of God all day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Wow. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, like I do not, I do not want to go deal with my coworkers. I don't want to listen to them talk or not talk or do anything. I just want to, you know, I mean, I don't want to go put up with their business. I just want to go and put my headphones on, listen to some sermons, listen to my Bible, just enjoy the presence of God when people show up, right? But there, but there is a message of exclusivity in that there is coming a day where we are now currently exclusively His 
and we are fighting to maintain exclusivity, but there is coming a day when we will always 100% be exclusive to him in the real physical kingdom of God. Praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. And it says, it goes on to say that God himself will be with them and be their God. There will be no other imagining. We are not, there's coming a day when we're not going to have to take every thought captive. Praise God. There is coming a day when no sickness and no sorrow and disease are going to be present. There is coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And he is going, and he is going to, the only thing that's going to die is death. Because he is going to take death. And Satan and lock him away. And we are we are going to live with him forever with no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more stubbed toes. Amen. Can somebody say amen? No more trying to run a drill through your hand. Amen. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more of the former things. Or of the former things. The nature of Adam. That still resides in you and I. Amen. <clears throat> because the former things have passed away. You see, the final judgment is reserved for death and Satan. That's it. Yeah. Amen. That's the final judgment. Yes. That he, because remember, the judgment spoken of in the Bible is not the judgment that we know in America today. That's right. I'm going to try to close this thing down with this thought right here. We've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I'm going to preach this thing because I just feel it on the inside of me because so many times we feel judged in the church, and I am telling you if God is bringing judgment because his word says he shall start judgment in the house of God, so if God is bringing judgment to the house, know that revival is coming to the nation because judgment must be defined by the Bible. Not by our Western ideological mindset that says God is a black-robed figure with a judge and a hammer and he is going to either say you are free to go or you deserve everything that you have done. How many know that we all deserve the penalty for what we have done, but the penalty was paid on the cross and now God is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God would not turn his back on him. I don't care. That is bad theology. That bad theology that God said, that God did not sit in heaven and say, I cannot look upon sin. God sat up in heaven and he said, you know what? I love the fallen world so much that I am going to go and dwell myself in Christ Jesus because Jesus said if you have seen the Father you have seen me if you have seen me you have seen the Father so therefore judgment must come from the book of Judges and what did God mean when he said Judges he said Gideon he said Deborah he said Jeremiah and Nehemiah. Because when we look at judgment all throughout the prophets, if you go read Isaiah and just, I mean, just ask God to open your mind and you can see he says, I'm sick of this, I'm sick of that, I'm tired, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, 
But all of this happened because you turned from me. Yet when you turn back, my judgment will relent. My punishments will relent. Because judgment is aimed at, I think, I think it's Mike Bickle that said this, but judgment is aimed at everything that interferes with the love of God. Judgment is aimed at anything that keeps you away from love. So, if it's anger that keeps you away from love, guess what? God is going to render judgment on it. And that judgment is not a condemnation. It is a correction. It is not condemnation. It is him saying, I am going to love you so much. I love you so deeply that I cannot stand to see you in that level of dysfunction. So therefore, I am going to come and render my judgment upon you. And that judgment that I render upon you is going to be your salvation. Right. Because it is going to cause you to turn back and say, I will serve God. That is why when people get to their lowest point, where do they always go looking? They go looking for God. But there has been a gospel present for about 250 years in the West that they have been, has been bankrupt about the judgment of God and this. And so we, when people start coming in that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't feel like us, we don't say welcome into the kingdom. We say, who do you think you are coming into the presence of a holy God like this? Don't you know you're going to hell? I am telling you the next move of God is not going to be the judgment of God is going to be that God is love and all of his judgments are just. Because judgment God is just. God is mercy. But how can you separate the mercy and the judgment of God? You can't. You cannot separate God's mercy from his judgment. You cannot separate God's judgment and mercy from his wrath. So if we know that all of God's judgments are good, what then is the wrath of God? Why I got on this this morning, not only. I don't even know if I can prove this biblically. So you just take it to work for it. But I was listening to a man by the name of David Thompson. I listen to, he's one of the guys I listen to all the time. And he said, he defined it this way, that the wrath of God, he said he was sitting 
by the bedside of one of his daughters, his spiritual daughters that had cancer and had eaten her alive. And he said, I, all I wanted to do was take and crawl inside of her body and choke out every cancer cell that was inside of her. And I've got a friend, and, and, and he said, and he said, God spoke to me and he said, that's my wrath. But the wrath of God is not him waiting to throw judgment upon you or the sinners in this evil world because you were once like them too. And I'm sorry, this may offend somebody, but the gospel is not me versus them. The gospel is Jesus throwing his arms wide on the cross saying, let anyone who comes in, let them enter in. I don't care the past. I don't care the failures. I don't care if you stumble because yea, though a righteous man falls seven times, yet he gets up. But we want to sit and judge and put wrath upon somebody else. And I am telling you, all of God's judgments are good because when did Jesus ever reject the sinner? The only person that Jesus ever rejected, the only people, the only people group that Jesus ever by our appearances, would have rejected, would have been the religious. But the reason I believe that Jesus spoke to the religious people the way he spoke to them was a sign of grace, mercy, and love because he wanted them to know to come into a real life-giving relationship with him and not just follow him for the miracles, the signs and the wonders and to do everything that they wanted him to do. And Jesus is asking us the same question today. Do you want me or do you want a religious system? Come on now. Do you want the kingdom of God? Or do you want Sunday morning in the West? Do you want fire insurance? Or do you want to be under the dominion of the king? Because if you're under the dominion of the king, there are things that he says you can't do. But if all you want is fire insurance, I'm not even sure that's if I'm being real honest with you. Because the kingdom, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom, the kingdom is so much more than what we have allowed to be. And if we are going to see everything that God wants us to see in our lifetime, in these boys' lifetime, in the lifetime of their children, and their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, we have to understand 
that we are not here to do Sunday morning church. We are here to be in the kingdom of God. And if we are in the kingdom, we are under the dominion of the king. And even though it may be small now, it will grow. It will grow. Why? Because we as a people are going to give ourselves to bearing good fruit. Because we are planted in good soil. Because everybody knows everybody knows the Lord in the room, right? We are planted in good ground, with good soil, with good fertilization. So therefore, it may take us some time. But we will bear fruit, and that fruit will feed nations. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, I just come before you right now, and I thank you. Thank you for this work, God. I don't know how to end this thing. We're on the plane. But God, I just pray right now for grace upon these people to take what they have heard. Move into what no life has seen and no ear to challenge. Let's move forward. God, I pray for grace. I pray for I pray, God, that you would fertilize those that may not be bearing fruit. And that God, you would bring forth fruit in them in due season. God, that you would move mightily among us, that we would not be discouraged, God, at your word, that we would not be discouraged, God, that we were at the position we find ourselves, but that, God, we would be encouraged that you are moving mightily among us. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. We'll see you Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Hey, I want to say one more thing before you go. Um, that prayer, that intercessory prayer, you know, listen, I know many of you may be like, well, I know how to pray.